This is the Retail Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on market scale. On that third mega trend, where consumers really have taken over the shopping channel, they're walking into stores a lot more informed. We don't hide from the fact that retail is difficult. You know, every day is a challenge, but that excites the customer. They love that. Hello, and welcome to the Retail Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, James Kent. As a reminder, if you're looking for the latest trends, insights, and updates in the retail industry, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Also, be sure to check out marketscale.com industries for a wealth of articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts on the retail industry and other industry verticals. Today's focus is on a critical component of the retail environment, and that is digital integration. Digital does not always mean e-commerce, although that is what consumers may have thought in the past. Today's digital advancements and solutions are helping retailers reimagine the physical shopping experience. And joining me with his thoughts on this revolution in retail is my guest today, Trevor Sumner. Trevor is the CEO of Perch, a leader in interactive product engagement marketing retail displays. Trevor, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Trevor, you know, I had a couple of numbers I was going to jump right into, but uh, retail figures for November just came out yesterday and sales were down 1.1% in November over October with a 52% drop in Black Friday traffic from last year. Some of that is understandable because retailers kind of did a rolling Black Friday to accommodate the pandemic and not wanting to have a huge crush of people. But clearly, the lack of a Black Friday and creating that excitement uh, caused some issues. So I was kind of thought I should grab some of your thoughts there on the numbers that just came out. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely not a good sign for holiday spending. And we saw earlier, uh, I think two weeks ago, that uh, retail lost 35,000 jobs uh, as well in uh, the November timeframe. So we saw a precursor to that, that, you know, kind of indicated that the sales numbers would be a little bit disappointing, let's say. Um, I think there's a couple things driving that. Uh, You know, one of the big things is, like you mentioned, you know, Black Friday was spread out into October. We had Prime Day in October. People started, you know, buying holiday gifts. And God bless your heart, if you you actually did holiday shopping uh, in October, I still I still got a lot of things to, to to buy, which is not a good place to be for me. <laughs> but also, you know, it's a, it's a reflection of you know what's going on in the economy, right? In that you know we did not see a second stimulus come through. That the, the federal government's still talking about it, and it's just very late in the game. And what you're seeing is kind of like a, a bifurcated um, you know, society, right? So you know you have eight percent more people below the poverty line than that we did when the pandemic began. And, you know, that has a real impact on spending, but it's, it's, it's fascinating because like I said, it's bifurcated, right? So, you know, James, if I asked you like, you know, what, what do you think has happened to, you know, Americans and their savings over the pandemic? What would you guess? Has it gone up? Has it gone down, up a lot, down a lot? I'm going to go with the fact that probably overall the, you know, the economy, I mean, people still have jobs. Um, there are a lot that don't, but I would say that people are saving right now. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I think that's that's a narrative that people don't see is that Americans actually have one point three trillion dollars more in savings than they did, uh, you know, than, than they would have had pre, you know, if the pandemic hadn't occurred. 
And that's, again, a function of stimulus. It's a function of the stock market being at, at, at highs. But that's not evenly distributed. And so, you know, if you're in the luxury market, you know, you're looking at these numbers and, you know, you're, 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 you're counting on a rebound um, to come. But the, the reality is, you know, this is affecting people so differently. There are a lot of people who are very negatively affected. They're, you've got kind of gift giving spread out. Uh, no big Black Friday. Uh, Cyber Monday was diluted by, you know, multiple days. So Walmart has, I think, three different shopping days. You know, other retailers have up to 10 different type of big sale hits that they're planning on spreading out. And part of that is, you know, to also adjust for, you know, some of the challenges around logistics and shipping. And um, so that's a big part of it. And then you also have, you know, COVID getting worse. And so, you know, when you look at these statistics, you know, you have to look at, you know, what is the cost of gas and transportation and, you know, those things starting to shut down. You look at restaurants in New York, uh, and you're in Vermont, it's, it's cold, right? Outdoor dining is, is less and less a possibility. So, you know, you'll see a shift from, you know, restaurants to grocery. And so it's a lot of shifting going on and we're going in the wrong direction with COVID. That doesn't, uh, you know, that, that doesn't help things, right? And uh, I think there are a lot of concerns uh, about spending and there should be. Um, I think overall you'll see, you know, holiday spending to be a little bit flat. Um, so, uh, you know, I think NRF right beforehand put a, a bullish, uh, estimate that it would be somewhere between three and a half and five and a half percent increase this year. Um, I think it's going to be more on the lower end and the, the kind of, you know, one and a half to two and a half percent, which is still growth, but not as bullish as I think the market was looking for. Yeah. I mean, I saw in the, those numbers yesterday, they, they said that for the year, overall sales are up 4.1 percent. But I think that some of that's got to be in the grocery area. Right. Oh, they'll, include, they'll include that in retail. And I'm like, well, people have certainly been buying one thing, <laughs> lots of groceries. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that this is why the retail numbers are, you know, oh, you know, there's the old um, adage that, you know, statistics never lie, but the people who use them do. And so <laughs> you can you can you can absolutely cut the numbers to say whatever you want. You know, you can include, you know, gas and autos in your retail numbers and say over 85% of, of shopping is in person. But if you take out like gas and autos, then, you know, it drops to, you know, in the seventies, right. You like one of the things that, you know, uh, people talk a lot about e-commerce, right. And the, the growth rates of e-commerce. And there are lots of ways to, you know, kind of juice that um, and, and make it look really, really big. Uh, or you, I, you know, I can take the counter and make it really re- look really, really small. So it's, it's very, you know, you really have to have, you know, just like, I guess, any discipline, you really have to kind of look at multiple different perspectives and how people slice and dice the data to, to get a good sense of what's really going on. But a bottom line is, you know, we're, we're seeing, a, you know, when the spending numbers, we're seeing a continued erosion of the middle class. We're seeing, I would argue that, uh, you know, that the, the working class in America is in a very, very difficult spot right now with 20 million jobs lost and 9%, 8% more people under the poverty line and you know, a stimulus that's just badly needed. Yeah. So, you know, before the numbers came out just yesterday, some other numbers that had jumped out at me was e-commerce, it's growing at a rate about 14%, while, you know, I think, and you kind of touched on that number, is the physical retail is growing at about 2%. And at a first glance, that looks like a pretty big distinction, but it's a deceiving comparison, right? You know, the fact remains e-commerce is still a rather small part of the market in comparison to retail, and retail still has room for growth. So that, you know, 2% is really a lot. Uh, What are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's again, uh, it's it's just how you want to look at it, right? Like e-commerce is growing at fourteen percent, physical retail is growing at two percent. E-commerce is is clearly a future, and you know, if if you actually look at because e-commerce has you know such a like a smaller share, right? You know, about fifteen percent. Really, e-commerce was taking, if you overall look at it, you know, was taking about one to one and a half percent per year uh, for in terms of total spend. Right. It was about 15 percent. And every year we go from 15 to 16 and then 16 to 17, et cetera. And I think people looked at this year and said, oh, my God, did you see the graph? You know, it went from 15 to 25 percent this year and it's gained 10 percent share gain this year. It's like, well, go look at the graph again. And I'll bet you that graph ends in April or May. It's like, <laughs> guys, it's it's December. Right. Like everybody wants to sell their analyst reports about. You know, how the world has just changed so drastically and you know, such a big jump. But the reality is, you know, that share has decreased and, you know, it has gone back down. Uh, so it peaked in April and May. And, you know, the smarter people I follow think instead of taking one to one and a half percent per year, uh, this year it'll take about two and a half percent. Right. So that's not look. I mean, you're talking about, you know, five trillion dollar market. Right. So like, you know, one percent is a lot of money. And. But, you know, I, I think you have to, like, I, you know, right now it's snowing in New York and it's like every snowstorm has to be a snowpocalypse. Like every shift has to be a seismic change. It's going to fundamentally change everything forever. Part of it is, again, you have to look, one of the things that I think is just absolutely crucial is you have to look at how it affects different sectors. I remember my buddy in LA telling me, you know, early in the pandemic, he he decided to go buy a jacuzzi and he walked into this place, this giant warehouse, like store full of jacuzzis. And he's like, oh, there were like three jacuzzis in this entire warehouse. He's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry that the pandemic has hurt you so bad. And they said, what are you talking about? We can't even keep them on the floor, right? Like jacuzzi sales are like way up. Anything with home goods is way up. Grocery, like we mentioned, there's a huge shift from restaurants to grocery. So like even grocery e-commerce, bring it back to the e-commerce, you know, e-commerce grew about 200% this year. And you're like, wow, that's, it's like tripled. It's like, yeah, but it's gone from like, you know, 3% to like 10%. And if you look at it, that 200% growth is now down to 100%. And it's shrinking every month as people go back to their normal habits. And so like, that's one piece of it. And it's, it's like shopper habits. But the second piece of it is the underlying dynamics of commerce is that e-commerce isn't profitable. And that's a big thing to say. Now, again, not tr- like everything, like it's not true in every category. Like if you're selling luxury items like you know, Gucci and, you know, you know, really expensive items, you know, the shipping isn't really a big piece of it, but individually shipping items is extraordinarily expensive. Mm-hmm. And in grocery, grocery e-commerce isn't profitable. There's no way to make it profitable. The only way you can create profitability for digital, for grocery is to allow you to either you know, buy it in store, buy it online or pick it up in store or through kind of micro fulfillment with local people and charging $7 for a delivery fee. And for a lot of people, you know, if you're, you're buying $100 worth of groceries, who's going to pay 7, 10% more? Right now we're paying fees, you know, for restaurant delivery and Instacart. Like I, I, I just ordered some food on Caviar and I swear to God, like, my order was like, $80 and the whole thing came out to $110. And I was like, what happened wow. here? <laughs> you know, you know, there's the delivery fee. And then on top of the delivery fee, there's, uh, you know, the tip and on top of the, there's the tip and then there's the tax. And then there's a COVID. And I was just like, it's, this is crazy. And w- what's underlying a lot of this is 
that you know people are trying to get e-commerce share up because that's how they see that their, their ability to compete and also get data about their customers. But ultimately, the store is where profits are driven. And given that you know people prefer shopping in stores, including millennials, 82% of millennials prefer shopping in stores, and it's more profitable. Uh, I think you know it's a line that you know uh, the physical store is always going to have a bright future. It's just going to be mixed with multiple different models. And the people who have leaned into buy online and pick up in store, like a Best Buy, they've seen their e-commerce grow 240%. They're the lo- the people with the local store networks like Target, Walmart. They're actually taking e-commerce share from the pure plays like Amazon because they can deliver these services more profitably at lower prices and greater convenience for the customer. And so even in digital, for the first time, over 40% of orders are delivered via the local store, local store networks. And so the interesting part is the local stores are actually taking e-commerce share away from Amazon. And that's fascinating. Hmm. Yeah, I want to talk about uh, like digital for a second, digital interactive technologies. How are retailers using them to enhance the customer experience and create a stronger engagement? When people think digital is e-commerce, but the reality is so much data is being collected and that's quote unquote digital. I'm using my, you know, air quotes yeah. on the podcast, <laughs> digital, right? And You've got digital in the store. You've got your mobile apps and you know contactless payment and checkout, and that's digital. To me, digital is a platform. It's a way of thinking and it's a way of solving problems, right? And you know, retailers are using digital to do a bunch of different things, right? So if your inventories are low, so supply chains have been strained, you can offer endless aisle options and QR codes for online purchasing for people in store. People are really vamped up around kind of uh, customer loyalty right now. So Walgreens has relaunched their loyalty program. Walmart has launched Walmart Plus, Target, et cetera. All these guys have, you know, from a retail perspective, are using loyalty to give people a reason to shop with them. It's increased savings. And in return, they get data so they can market to you better. And that's digital. And for us at Perch, you know, where I'm the CEO, you know, we think about, digital being key to the consumer in terms of what they need to make a purchase, right? So, you know, 87% of people start their product discovery journey online. So why? Well, because well, that's where the content is, right? Like if you want to, if you want to read about a product, you know, if you want to learn about it, like I want ratings and I want reviews, I want videos and how to's and all that stuff is online. And it's amazing to us that, where 85% of transactions occur in the store, there is none of the digital content (laughs) that customers actually need to make a decision. Mm. And so we think that the next great frontier for digital is not online, it's in store, because right now it's so devoid of digital content and even devoid of data, right? If you think about it right now, in the next hour, Millions of people are walking down the shelves, interacting with products. Nobody is looking at the data as to like, which products are they interacting with? Which ones are they touching? If they touch it and pick it up, do they convert? Do they buy it? Do they put it back? Which customers are buying? How long do they look at a product, right? That is where 85% of transactions occur. And to me, that digital platform, that measurement, that influence with digital content 
is, is an amazing, you know, kind of open frontier for, for transformation. So what are you doing um, on that end? I'm kind of curious as to how we're breaking down that barrier and getting information about the retail experience as a shopper goes through those aisles and picks up those products. Obviously online, there's a lot of backend data that you can see, oh, this person put this in their cart or they took it out of the cart or it's still in the cart or, you know, they held on to this product for this long. So so what are we doing in the stores to recreate that uh, data experience? Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you look at you know digital signage, right? And, and I think digital signage is like the banner ad of traditional retail, right? Like you know, if you think about banner ads, 1998 and blinky text, I don't know, how many of uh, the listeners even remember that, but it was terrible. I mean, <laughs> it's just like just blinky text and trying to catch your you know, opinion and it's not contextual and it's just, you know, flashing at you to, to try and get you to look at something that you don't really want to look at. And to me, traditional digital in store is a lot like that, right? Like flashing banner, maybe it's Maybelline, maybe it's Maybelline, maybe it's Maybelline. Like, great. <laughs> how does that help me pick right. out a product? Right. That's not what I need. I want to know, about this product. And so what we do is we, we, we basically have screens embedded in the shelves and we use cameras and computer vision to, to actually detect what people are touching and picking up and putting down. And so the moment you touch a product on the shelf, it like Perch just wakes up and starts telling you about the product, right? It's like, you know, the way I think about it is, like you said, online, I can click on a product and get more information. Why can't I do that in store? So the moment that I touch a product, it's like clicking on it. It's like saying, hey, I'm interested in this product. And it wakes up. It's like Minority Report. It wakes up. It's intelligent. It starts telling you about the product. You can, it engages consumers and like people, you know, oh, let me look at the ratings reviews and what products go with this. And oh, this comes in different colors or, you know, et cetera. And, and so you get the benefit not only of the right message at the right time. And it's not, maybe it's Maybelline. It's like, let me tell you about that. AirPod Pro, or let me tell you about that, you know, Neutrogena, you know, skin, Hydro Boost skin, you know, skincare product, right? It's not just that, but the ability to look at all this data now of, of which products are people touching and, hey, does this piece of content actually convert people to, to, to both to sales and to get them to interact? Like, for example, Johnson & Johnson, they had a beauty end cap at a supermarket uh, in the Midwest called Meyer. And they had Neutrogena and they had Carrie Washington for Neutrogena and they had Jennifer Aniston for Avino. And for Clean and Clear, they didn't have a spokesperson. So they, quote unquote, just just used Instagram influencers, right? Okay. And so we looked at the data and it turns out that the Clean and Clear converted the best when somebody picked up a product to the screen. And so we said, well, what if instead of Jennifer Aniston with her 50 million Instagram followers, we, we just did, you know, these Instagram followers, you know, Instagram uh, influencers who had, you know, 5,000, 50,000 followers, right? Let's see what happens if we launch that content. Let's see how it changes behavior. Turns out, increases digital engagement by about 20%, increased sales by 10%. I mean, wow. 10%. If, if you could say, if you go to a customer and say, hey, I, you know, I can give you a platform by which you can figure out which piece of content drives a 10% sales increase across, like, you know, all your in-store networks. That's groundbreaking stuff. And it is groundbreaking, but to, to us, you know, who come from like, you know, web background, being able to figure out like A-B test content and, and, and have a platform not just to measure this stuff, but to influence them. It's like, yeah, that, that, that's what we do online all the time. Amazon's doing a thousand tests every second, right? So I, I think digital in-store is 
in a prehistoric phase, uh, just a very early stage where we're just starting to build the sensors to figure out what's going on, the billions of interactions that are happening, what is the right message at the right time, how do you convert them at the shelf, or like if you're a CVS, for example, right, and you're in the allergy aisle, right, and you, you pick up an allergy product, maybe the answer is, hey, do you have allergies? Do you want to talk to a doctor at our minute clinic? Do you want to sign up for our care pass? Do you want to sign up for, you know, some of these other services that are highly profitable that I can offer you? Do you know that, you know, if you purchase our $10 a month plan, you can get 30% off, you know, this generic product that we have at CVS helping retailers compete with the brands. There's so much you can do once you know what the shopper is actually interested in and what their needs are. And that's been missing in retail where I think, you know, a lot of retailers have lost the plot and just, you know, thrown products on shelves and you can't compete with Amazon because they have the biggest shelves in the world. So, Dan, do you find brick and mortar retailers receptive or resistant to bringing in these types of technologies into the physical shopping environment? It depends on the retailer, right? So there are those who are technology forward and we've seen those retailers win in the pandemic, right? Because if you have a digital platform and digital competencies in the enterprise, you can move faster. You can change things. You can change messaging with Perch, right? Like you can push a button and update that messaging at a thousand stores at a time with, as if it were nothing, right? And you know, if you have print, <laughs> you got to send people in the store, change shelves, all that type of stuff. You know, Best Buy had been working on buy online, pick up in store, Bopus. Uh, Target, Walmart, like the amount of change that the big guys made in the first month was tremendous. But it's it's, it's kind of like, I think, uh, I'm trying to remember who said it. it's like, there's so many overnight successes that, you know, took, took over 10 years, right? Like, it was a lot of building the competencies in house and having digital platforms so that you can, you can move and certain retailers have done that. And other retailers have been resistant. Other retailers you know, it's less about creating engagement, right? If you're at a, a dollar store, it's about, it's about value. It's about, you know, discount. It's about convenience and it's less about creating engagement and, and, and those type of things. I think it's different by sector. It's different by retailer. But again, uh, I think there are a lot of retailers who have struggled to invest in digital. And as a result, they're further behind the ball. They're now struggling financially, which means they have less money to invest in digital, which means they fall further behind, which means that, 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 that. It's this vicious, it's this vicious cycle. And we're seeing it, you know, that combined with the eroding of the middle class is, is really kind of creating winners and losers, right? Yeah. You know, we talked about like, there's a lot of shoppers flocking to value or discounting or like, Walmart and Target are doing fantastic. Dollar Store is is absolutely crushing it. And at luxury, again, you know, we have one point three trillion dollars in extra savings, but a lot of that is on the you know kind of uh, in the ultra rich and and the upper class. And it's that eroding of that middle class that's hurting department stores. That's you know whether it's the Macy's, Neiman Marcus, the J.C. Penney's, the Sears, and it's uh, it's difficult to be in that environment with the need to invest in technology with funds that are limited and then you throw the pandemic on, you know, into it where you were overly dependent on stores and now you're, you know, kind of really hurting. It's an unenviable position for a lot of retailers where they need to invest in digital, but they can't sacrifice long short-term profits for long-term growth. 
Sure. And of course, you know, some retailers are going to be struggling just to see if they can get through the next six months to position themselves. Because what would be really fascinating is, you know, six to eight months from now, you know, kind of coming back and seeing what the landscape looks like, because I feel like it'll be this big period of, of like people feeling like they've come out of hibernation when we have a large segment of the population vaccinated and people can start to feel like they can go out again and shop. I, I think that there's going to be a sort of wave of people that just are going to crave going out and shopping again. But you got to get there. You have to be able to you know get through whatever is coming our way in the next six to eight months. And you know we've been talking a lot about sort of enterprise level retailers but what about a, you know more in the mid-size or small scale retailers do you think that they feel like well all the this digital technology and you know the signage and the stores all that is great but you know we're just too small for that we that it's not going to make a difference for us do you think that they may dismiss that or do you feel like there's opportunities for them to explore that they just may not have tapped into yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a mix. It, it really depends on your orientation. I think traditional small, medium sized uh, retailers are uh, struggling to make that shift because they don't have you know hiring engineers is expensive and these systems are expensive whether you're implementing it for one store or fifty stores or five hundred stores. And so you know how do you justify those fixed costs when your store footprint is you know potentially so much smaller? You know at the same time you've got some technologies that you know have been designed for small, medium businesses, but are extraordinarily powerful. Look at Shopify. Shopify certainly has flourished. Uh, you know, but I put my wife on Shopify on e-commerce over uh, you know over a weekend, and they've got point of sale systems and inventory tracking systems. They've gotten a lot more sophisticated, and Square is 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 absolutely disrupting the payment space and making it much easier for small, medium businesses to. Uh, to compete both with payments and ease of ease of payments, but also even targeting customers. And then you've got, you know, kind of small and medium retailers who have come with a digital first mindset. And, you know, if you look at what Showfields has done, you know, I you know, they, they, they build themselves as the most interesting department store in the world. And I, I look at the Showfields model, and it's unclear to me what their what their what their business is. I mean, they have a great like, you know, retail environment where the brands pay to, 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 to show off their products. And each is almost like an experiential kind of center. And it's, it's, it's a great concept. But if you actually look behind the scenes, they, they, they may end up being a, a technology platform for other retailers that they're building through you know, their own department store because they have very sophisticated you know, point-of-sale systems, customer relationship management systems, uh, digital signage systems, online to offline attribution and offline back to online. And there are people looking at this at the digital first mindset. And especially there are a lot of brands in the direct to consumer market who started with a digital mindset because they grew up online, but over two thirds of any digital uh, direct to consumer company that's raised over $6 million, they've actually opened stores. And so when they say to themselves, Hey, in order to continue my profitable growth path, I need to open stores and we can talk about why that is because, you know, Facebook CPAs are up 300 to 400% over the last five years and they're squeezing all the margins out of the market. But, you know, again, e-commerce turns out not to be all that profitable and turns out to be pretty hard to get to scale. So people open stores, but they've come with a, oh, I've got all my inventory in a, you know, 
database with images and ratings and reviews. And this is how I think about transactions. And this is how I think about customer conversion and my cost per acquisition. So my lifetime value of a customer and we instrument all these things online. I want to do that in store. And, and so I think these digitally, you know, kind of native brands are forcing, you know, a small, medium kind of people to think about small, medium retail differently because they come with digital DNA. And I think it's a much needed, it's a much needed change. And, and, and ironically, some of the larger retailers are actually hamstrung in this way because they have old systems that they still need to update because it's, you know, when, 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 you, when you're a single store, changing your point of sale isn't a big deal. If you're, you know, Sears or JCPenney, changing 500 store point of sale systems, having to completely retrain everybody, have to you know, think about all the other systems that's now integrated into recreating those integrations, it turns out to actually be harder. I think there's greater agility in that small, medium business market for a lot of people. What about on the consumer side? Uh, what are you seeing the, the kind of behaviors and insights uh, from shoppers of what are they looking for? Right. We've been talking a lot about the technologies available to capture market share from the consumers. But, you know, what, what is it that they want? It's, it's, you absolutely have to look at this from multiple perspectives, because when you try and figure out where the future is, it's between the needs of the retailers, the needs of the brands and the needs of the shoppers. Right. And so we've talked about you know, some of the retailers and a little bit about the brands. We can talk more about that. But for the consumers, there, there are a couple of things, certainly in the pandemic, that's you know, kind of come up. Contactless payment options have been extraordinarily popular because nobody wants to touch the, 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 the terminal, right? And the reality is that Apple Pay, or I don't, know, I don't have Google Pay, but Apple Pay is much more convenient than my credit card, right? Like putting in the card, waiting 10, 15 seconds for it to read the chip, all that stuff. What, it's, it, it doesn't make sense. And because of the pandemic, People have tried these contactless technologies and realized it's not a shift because, hey, it's not a long-term shift because of safety. Safety was getting them over the hump to try out the technology. And then it turns out the technology is really great. Right? So contactless payments are a big winner here. Also payment options. So you're seeing a lot of different payment options of buy now, pay later, um, some, some really big implementations because in part because of so many people looking at you know, this value, you know, equation where, you know, a lot of Americans are cash strapped. You've got many people out of work and many people below the poverty line. And, you know, so they're looking for value and discount and also the ability to pay later. And so there are new credit options available and people are using this. People are taking advantage of this on the payment side with PayPal doing a deal with CVS so that they're processing transactions. I'm really bullish about what PayPal is doing and Venmo is doing to insert themselves into the payment stream in store, which is really new. And so, you know, those are some of the things that consumers are looking for is, is convenience, discounts, savings, um, and then, you know, personalization. Nobody likes to get an email that's just not personalized to you, not, not relevant to what you're, what you're doing. And with all of this data being collected, you know, people are much more able to give you the right message at the right time. And so, you know, that's just really, really critical to enhance the, the shopper experience and the shopper journey. Those are some of the technologies that are, that are being used. Others are like solving problems like augmented reality is being used in interesting ways. So like, you know, the beauty industry, you know, obviously uh, has been hit pretty hard because you don't want to go into a store and try on, you know, 20 different lipsticks, especially in a pandemic, but probably before the <laughs> pandemic too. And so 
there are these virtual try-on technologies where you can like press a button and it'll put that shade of red on, on your lips. And they were starting to get traction before the pandemic and they have absolutely blown up afterwards, right? Augmented reality for, hey, I really like that couch. What would it look like in my living room, right? Uh, and you can actually, you know, look through your mobile phone and, and, and put that couch there or change that wall from white to eggshell or even to lime green and see what it looks like. And those are ways that digital can do things that eliminate frictions in the shop air journey that would have been there pandemic or no pandemic and really get people to explore more. So with the virtual makeup technology, we, we, we do this at CoverGirl, we do this with Bourgeois, we do this with Mac and we've done it with Sephora. And what happens is people start trying on all these shades that they never would otherwise. I mean, I've seen some, uh, a lady, you know, I was like, hey, well, why don't you try in the shade of green? And she's like, no way, no way that would work on me. And then she ended up trying and I was like, oh, actually, that looks pretty good. I'm going to go buy it, right? You're going to try more things. You're going to experiment more things. The journey is going to be more fun and entertaining. People take pictures. They send it to their friends. It becomes more social. But it's all part of like providing the right message at the right time, the right tool at the right time, making discovery fun again. Like one of the things I was talking uh, earlier this morning uh, with a gentleman named Ricardo Belmar, who's a retail analyst, it's like, you know, we've talked about this future of retail where, oh, we could just stay at home and order stuff and it just shows up. It's like, great. How's that going for us? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I did my Christmas shopping yesterday. I bought a wonderful toy for, for my nephew, William, uh, who's about four years old and He's big into space and I couldn't go into a store and discover the toy. And so I found something online. I think it's good. I ordered it. I put in my Amazon information. I customized the card, spent extra five bucks to put it in a gift bag. And it was kind of a chore, right? Like I was in front of my computer. There was no joy in it. I never actually saw the thing in real life. I didn't wrap it myself. I didn't send it myself. And I know it's going to come in an Amazon package. It's lost in everything else. And it's kind of all like soulless and a chore. And I, I really think that this is not the future that, that we wanted it to be. I think, I think physical retail in combination with these digital technologies is what we're really looking for. That connection, that joy, that, that, that the soul. As we're wrapping up our discussion today, I kind of want to look forward a little bit to 2021 and just really talk about, you know, if, if retailers, they should be in the midst of planning their budgets if they haven't already and kind of want to know what retailers should be doing in terms of planning uh, now for the digital solutions they're going to need to differentiate their brands and position themselves for success with customers who are going to be demanding more from their retail shopping experience going forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I talk to a lot of retailers and I, I think, look, they're in a tough position. I, I have a bunch of retailers that I talk to who don't really have their 2021 budgets yet, right? Because it's so hard to plan this stuff out because we talk about vaccinations, but are, are we really going to be all good in April? And bang, like Bill Gates says so. I hope that's right, but is that going to be the case? And, you know, a lot of these technology investments, they take, you know, three, four months to roll out, right? Perch takes three months to roll out. And, so it's very hard for people to plan out, uh, you know, long enough to, to make some substantial investments. And I'm seeing certain companies that just say, hey, like, let's wait till we get there and then start planning. And I talk to other people who are saying, we're going to we're going to skate to where the puck is going. And I think we're going to be in a good <laughs> spot in April and we're ready to like, 
one of our biggest clients just tripled the size of their perch network. And we're like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like it's great for us. Right. I like, we're super excited, but they have the foresight to say, yeah, I mean, it could be April, it could be May, it could be June, but we need this technology in place. If, if just to validate our assumptions about what's going on in store. And, you know, I see some retailers who are really kind of forward looking and unfazed and saying, like, this is an opportunity. Like I think about a lot of people are taking opportunities in the pandemic to buy low so that they can sell high. Like this is a good time to invest because you don't have a lot of store traffic right now. Right. So what, what opportunities does that give you to make some changes now that could be a little, you know, bumpy, but you, you'd rather have the bumps now than kind of the, the roaring return that you, you, you mentioned earlier, which, you know, we're seeing in China and, and other areas that have handled the pandemic. I think a little bit more capably than we have, right? You know, I'm reminded that after you know Spanish flu, we had the Roaring Twenties. Uh, I do believe that there's going to be this roaring push to be back to stores, but you've got to create an experience that gets people excited about coming back to stores and yeah. to capture that share. I think forward-looking retailers are thinking about that now, and it's capturing that digital audience. It's providing the right content and the right shopping experience. It's you know, converting that experience as a, a, a retail author and, and consultant named Stephen Dennis, who's wonderful. He wrote a book called Remarkable Retail. That's a must read for everybody. And he talks about harmonized retail as opposed to thinking about an online channel and an in-store or some sense of omni-channel. It's about harmonizing all these channels. People like Neiman Marcus have done some interesting things where sales associates are, you know, they have these iPads that they can reach out to a customer after they left the store and say, hey, you know, this came in and would go great with whatever that thing you bought. And they actually did $100 million worth of sales with sales associates in-store reaching to people out oh, online. My. And so that combination of digital and in-store and digital actually in the, in the store and being able to take online and drive people to store for logistics and pickup, and it's all going to be harmonized. And people have to be investing now to create these joyful experiences to appeal to shoppers who want to be in store, appeal to shoppers who want to be online and pick up in store and all these different modes and create a harmonized shopping experience. That's the future. Um, that's where you can have both the joy and the convenience. That's where you can have the volume and the growth as well as the profitability. That's where you can have better products powered by data, better pricing, better packaging, better planogram, better merchandising, and better everything. And that's, that's the retail that I'm really excited about. And in the meantime, we've got to make it through the next three or four months. Yeah, you know, you really hit the nail on the head. I was thinking back in the end of World War II, we have all these returning soldiers and there's a lot of enthusiasm and optimism. And then you had innovations, uh, product innovations that came out that people were looking for. They wanted, a, they wanted a house, they wanted a car, and they wanted uh, the newfangled appliances. And so that was, you know, the American dream. Now we've had this, you know, it'll be a year-long pandemic plus uh, by the time we can start to get this in the, the rearview mirror. And my gut tells me that there will be a lot of optimism. People will be very excited and sure, there's still going to be hardships, but there will be a lot of people that will want to be out about and they're going to want to spend. And I'm kind of curious, what do you think that product or products is going to be that people have maybe been you know, holding on to their savings, not wanting to make a purchase? What do you think that they're going to want to have when this pandemic's over? What should, what should a retailer be ready for? 
Yeah, I mean, you can look at, uh, you know, which categories are depressed. I mean, I, I think people are creatures of habit and that, you know, people have shopped for what they want. And you see, so you look at what's depressed and it's things like apparel. I haven't bought any clothes in months. Like, yeah. This is the longest I've been without buying clothes. I got nowhere to go, right? Like, I can't wait for, you know, the first event, the first, like, you know, go out dancing with my friends and like, uh, you know, I haven't worn a suit in a long, long time. And I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I've got great suits and I would love to, love to wear a suit again. And, you know, it's that exuberance and that's excitement. And I, I think you look at the depressed categories like apparel and, you know, beauty was hit uh, kind of hard. I think fragrance was hit kind of hard. I, I think those are the things that you're going to see, you know, push back. I think people are going to splurge a little bit on themselves. And I think you're going to find that certain behaviors have stuck as well, right? Like I've gotten really good, you know, and you know, I, I was a big cook beforehand and I took masterclass, you know, the, the online, you know, mobile app and got their library and learned from Thomas Keller and my game is way up. And so, you know, I'm excited about dinner parties and, you know, these type of things. But I, I think it's all a lot going to be around being social, showing off who you are in public, identity-based products that, you know, Apple sells a lifestyle kind of idea around its products. Those things are all going to do really, really well because we are uh, in the winter. We're going to wake up from our hibernation, our forced hibernation, and we're going to crawl out of our caves. And we are, I think we're going to celebrate. I think we're going to have our roaring 2020s and we're going to want to show off and be ourselves and laugh. And, and I think the, re the retail that allows us to do that uh, will be extraordinarily powerful. Well, I keep shaking my magic eight ball and the triangle and the blue liquid keeps coming up. Reply hazy. Try again later. But <laughs> I think that soon it's going to say outlook good. Uh, so anyways, uh, Trevor, I want to thank you for coming on the show today and providing uh, your knowledge, your expertise. Uh, if folks listening want to get in touch with Perch, where's the best place for them to go to reach out and learn more? Yeah, so our website is perchinteractive.com. That's P-E-R-C-H. Um, uh, and you can reach me at trevorsumner.com or, you know, on Twitter is great at, at Trevor Sumner. Look me up on LinkedIn and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to chat and uh, connect with you about, you know, kind of retail, retail trends and what I'm seeing. I mean, I'm really passionate about this. I think one of the things about retail is, you know, it's really kind of like the core, a lot of our community identity. You think about, you know, Main Street and the square and connecting with local shop owners and local people's lives, livelihoods. It's a lot about commerce. It's how we connect with each other in many, many ways. And uh, I think that connectivity is really, really important and, and more so than ever after this pandemic. Well, I just muted my mic. I shook my eight ball and I said, Does, is Trevor Sumner passionate about retail? And it said, yes, definitely. <laughs> so <laughs> um, that's, that's definitely the case. All right. Well, my guest today is has been Trevor Sumner, CEO of Perch. Thank you, Trevor, for coming on the show. My pleasure. This is great. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Retail Podcast brought to you by MarketScale. Again, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you're not subscribed already. And please leave a rating and a comment after each episode. Let us know what topic you'd like covered on a future podcast. I'm your host, James Kent. Let's talk again soon.